Well, hello there, and welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore current events through the prism of the Christian worldview. But of course, here's the catch. As we view the events of our world, people will bring questions, philosophical questions, cultural questions, economic questions, questions of theology and politics. So each of us today are sitting in one of those chairs. To my right, I have Miss Nikki. How are you this morning? I'm good. Doing all right. I think you'll be sitting in the chair of theology today. Am I right? Actually, I was going to pick culture today. All right, let's do culture. Okay, with that said, we're just kind of uh, playing footloose and fancy free here. (laughs) Change it up. That's a good thing. A Christian needs to be able to sit or come at any chair that the question comes from. And to her right, we have Mr. Charlie. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Excellent. And you will be sitting in the chair of? I'll tell you what. I'll take uh, politics and awesome. uh, theology. All right. All right. So we're, we're going to be occupying a couple of chairs. We've got people coming in a bit late to the studio, which is okay. And I will be sitting until someone comes in. I'll be sitting in the chair of, you said politics and theology. Yep. I'll be sitting in the chair of philosophy and economics. It'll be an interesting uh, wow. mix-up. Wow. We'll have some real fun. How very uh, uh, lib uh, libertarian of me. <laughs> but uh, again, once again, I'm John Arthur, uh, the host today, and let's get right into it. If you've read the title, you know we're talking about Afghanistan, and it, it, it's kind of exhausting reading the news. It, it's, it's, it's something that we've seen this train wreck coming, and we've kind of watched another Saigon or worse. Some people would say it's much, much worse. We have a few stories to go through. But uh, starting off, I want to just read this NY Times article, and, and you can hear the, the, the sort of sneering tone, but um, it, I'll read it. 20-year U.S. war ending as it began with Taliban ruling Afghanistan. So we went from a position of 2,500 people stationed there, fully stable, with American citizens, UK citizens, you know, NATO, everyone is there. Things are uh, more or less under control to full-scale disaster. Chaos. In minutes, seconds, comparatively speaking. I mean, it, it just overnight, it took us a month or two months, and we lost everything. So, I... I, I and, 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 and to, to, to go to that, we have another story. Before we dig, start to dig in, I think uh, Miss Nikki has another story about the, uh, the way our allies see us. One of the things that we were told was Joe Biden is going to return respect to our allies. Let's see what, what, are, what are our allies saying yeah, about he, our former Vice President that, Joe Biden. Before she reads that, what's in, interesting is that when Joe Biden took office, if I'm not mistaken, he proclaimed America is back. Yes. And this was part of that. So, Nikki. Parliament holds Joe Biden in contempt over Afghanistan. Uh, The MPs and peers unite to condemn dishonor of U.S. president's withdrawal and his criticism of Afghan troops left behind to face the Taliban. That's pretty, that's our number one ally. And they have just condemned you. Um, Joe Biden did not just harm the United States in this. He harmed our allies, put them in a bad position. 
you said I loved your title where you know we Taliban was in control 20 years ago and we left them in control again but we left them with a stronger Taliban because we left our stuff behind we left them with an upgrade they went from AK-47s to Mark 18s with night vision and Blackhawks and tanks and up armored Humvees and I know everybody's saying, well, they're disabled. Well, they may be disabled today. That doesn't mean they're Oh, I'm sorry. Most of that stuff is not disabled in any meaningful way. You can, you can yeah. So well, the reverse left. engineering, some of the fear is Chinese reverse engineering some of this technology. I'm not sure the Chinese need to do that. They've got, they've got, got their, their own. own. But um, this is not simple. This is not simple. This is a war that has been lost. And a lot of our military people that served over there feel betrayed. And you're going to see that there are folks, I, I don't have this quote here, but there are folks who are saying that um, suicide rate is going to go up. I don't have a, an actual statistical indicator of that, but common sense will say that a lot of these men and women who died and their buddies died, they watched the, 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 the carnage unfold in taking that hellhole well, what reason do they have to live when, when their friend gave everything for that and then you took one steaming crap on all of the sacrifice? You know, and what's, what is so sad in our culture is that we live so comfortable. But the reason we live the way that we do because America has been worldwide. America is not respected right now and will not be and there's going to be a price for that. Yeah, unfortunately. Moving around to the next story, because we have a lot to talk, talk about today, and we'll, we'll be referencing these stories likely, but there's another interesting one. We, we'd, if, I, if memory serves, we had briefly brought this up uh, in a previous podcast. This from the Citizen Free Press. There's an update to the journalist Emily Miller's statement about those seven uh, buses of gals. Uh, if you could re-familiarize us with the story, Mr. Charlie, yeah. and then give us the correction and update. Yeah, this is um, something referred to as Project Exodus, uh, Afghanistan Retired Special Forces Rescue Mission. And last week we briefly stated that uh, there was an article, um, and this this was it, where there were seven busloads of um, people, Americans, if you will, that got to Kabul airport. And one of the commanding officers there at the airport said, no, sorry, you're out of here. And basically had been turned back over to Taliban. So correction on this, what the correction is, is as follows. Uh, basically, there were only seven or eight Americans on those buses. And all of the people uh, on those buses have been um, have found safety for the moment. Uh, I want to emphasize that. Let me just read a couple of uh, brief things here. This is a an update from yesterday. Uh, we have heard great news from the Northern Resistance Force battling the Taliban. They had victorious battles and are heading uh, to Kabul. Uh, we even have reason to hope that they will be able to take back Kabul Airport. If that happens, we can start rescuing people by air again. Um, I find that to be pretty amazing if this is true. 
Uh, obviously, if it is true, we will not hear this on the news. Uh, this will not be something that you will hear broadcast in mainstream media. This is, this is going to have to be by news from people on the ground. And um, Emily Miller uh, has a contact there. Uh, she calls Dave. Um, this is what Dave has said. The aircraft and MEZ are still sitting on the ground. Um, and Dave is with a humanitarian group, uh, helped rescue people to get to those planes. And he said he hopes this is not another false lead, but I just got another, uh, got a call saying one of our flights is taking off in five hours. Passengers have been told to be ready. So I have not heard anything on this in the mainstream media this morning. Um, and, and you I'm not won't. sure about this. Yeah, and you won't. Here's the real story. Here's the real story that I see out of that, and y'all, y'all tell me what you think. The story that I see is that you're having to have non-government organizations and self-organized groups of people actually do the rescuing that of American citizens. Oh, and, and I have this one article from the Citizen Free Press uh, only seven of the 280 women on those buses were, were Americans. Only seven? Excuse me? Oh, oh, oh. And the 273 other women, we don't care about them because they're Afghanis. Screw them. That's what I hear. That's, that's what I hear. That's really, John Arthur, this is where the church has got to stand up and say, wait a minute. It's 280 people that are trying to flee a terrorist group. That does not mean that we bring the 273 into America. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. But to me, a person that's trying to flee terror, we should be trying to help. And especially the seven or eight Americans. There's, just, there's no excuse for that. And I, I, I would say shame on all the administration of the Biden administration for the way that they have dealt with this. Um, people have wanted to get out, and they've turned their back on them. It's interesting because uh, there was some criticism about, at the very beginning, oh, we're going to let any Afghan who wants to come to America to come. And as some politician goes, wait a minute, we need to make sure we're vetting these people. And then the mainstream, and the mainstream media goes, oh, they're just racist. They're just racist. They don't want you know, Afghans to come here because they have brown skin. And yet now it's, it was only seven. So, it, so it's such a contradiction. So I, I, and, and I want to pose a question to you, but before I want to premise it with this, the browning of America is a term that I've heard. I've only heard Democrats use that and say that whites don't like that um how many how many brown grandchildren do y'all have well actually only one <laughs> i mean i mean, we, I mean they I, ended up in a literal sense one they, they, but, but, but and they, i would tell you that we we have two sons that have married hispanic women and we have five grandchildren um but only one of them has actually taken on the hispanic coloring but the and point it's, it's 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 I mean that is humorous. It is humorous. It is and, humorous. And she, I call her my little Mexican. So so but my 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 point is is that the, the the left is insisting that conservative white America wants to hold on to the milk toast color 
and and that's why we don't want open borders. I I totally and, disagree with that. That well, I'm I'm saying that that's, is what, that's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. Yeah. And so and, and I'm saying, look, most families, most conservative families that I know have no problem who their kid marries as long as no. they're conservative, godly, Christian. That it's a culture issue. It's not a skin color issue. And that's what we ran into in Afghanistan. We didn't realize that we were fighting a culture issue. And you want to know what some over there would say? Uh, as a matter of fact, I think the Taliban came out this last week and said this. Don't, don't try to change our culture. They said that while referring to marrying with 12-year-olds. Mm. In the oh. West, we... I'm not going to give them that euphemism. We call that rape. Yep. We call that pedophilia. Yep. Totally you were giving right. me a look a moment ago, Miss Nikki. What were you thinking? Well, as a Christian, you understand that we all came from Adam and Eve. I don't believe Adam and Eve white because everything that black, yellow, you know, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in the sight. They all came from Adam and Eve. It's one gene And pool. so a needs to and I understand their their church has a and we need to make sure that we are understanding the biblical principles behind each individual and the value of their life before the eyes of God. Absolutely. And so I I wanna hook this into an apologetic issue before we're done because that's really what this podcast is about it's not so much political mm -hmm. it's more it's more of an we're, we're trying to bring a response to the culture so hopefully we've set the table and we're looking at this and so i, I want to go to an article uh this is this is uh the pittsburgh post gazette's article on an interview with uh ziv chavetz uh now just b before i get in a quick uh, understanding of who Ziv Shavetz is. He's an American-Israeli author and columnist and uh, political commentator. But this article is interesting, and, and I think it, it paints, paints things in the correct light. Ziv Shavetz, Israel feels alone without U.S. in Afghanistan. The geographic distance between Tel Aviv and Kabul is roughly 2,000 miles, but after the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, Israel is worried that the Taliban and its radical allies are right next door. This is a smaller and smaller world. And here's the thing. Uh, Ziv Shavetz goes on to say, uh, each of these groups has been inspired by a Taliban victory, referring to ISIS-K, the new reinvention of ISIS, Obama created ISIS, Biden created ISIS-K, effectively. Uh, and we're going to see that explode. Just watch. But each of these groups has been inspired by the Taliban victory. It has been centuries since a jihadist army has so decisively defeated the combined military forces of the West. Think about that morale boost. Think about where it goes in an eschatological sense, revelations sense. Guess what we just kicked off? The U.S. can pretend that it was merely strategically leaving a pointless battlefield, but the entire Middle East knows better. This was not only a historic humiliation for America, but also a model for jihad extremism. They can be America. We they can be America. America. Now, America 
I'm not going to say bent over and let them beat it, but that's what we did. <laughs> that's what we did. We, we, we allowed them to beat us. I, because we're, right now we're weak. And, and I, think, I think the way I would word it is we just totally walked away. The, the Taliban didn't do anything to defeat us. That's not how they will see it. And you oh, I totally it. agree with that. I, I think when, when we look at what this does for them, the point you're making is spot on. It, it will absolutely encourage it. The thing is, what I see as the issue here is that the local New Testament church has failed to see these kind of things properly. Here's what I mean, um, going to a political sense here. There's a lot of Christians um, that have voted for Biden, thinking that, you know, we're going to get away from the, the harsh tones of, of Trump, if you will. And yet what they failed to see is that Biden, A, was not going to be ruling, if you will. He was not going to really be making the decisions. And we see right now that he's not. This is clearly being influenced by his, his staff. And, and B, he is, oh, is flip-flopped. I think it was 100% influenced by his staff. Oh, absolutely. And, and he is flip-flopped on so many issues and there was no way that he was going to be the middle-of-the-road president that some of these people were really hoping that he would be. And we're paying a dear price for that. You have to wonder what the next election will really look like. So, again, and let's go ahead and hook this back into apologetic tone. I, I want to go ahead and start off with asking the culture chair. We're watching the consequences of an election. Now whether it was a stolen election or whether, whether or not we're in the middle of a coup. You know, some people would say that. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't matter per se on the note of the individual level. Culturally, Christians have the separation of church and state mentality. Is that sustainable? And what evidence do we see out of Afghanistan for that sustainability? Because this affects the U.S. This affects our home. Mm. It does. Um, well, America has always been one to help the underdog. Okay? We, we need to provide um, help in, in, in any way that we can. So I think that you're going to start seeing in the future some of the suffering is going to come to light because the Taliban is going to show their muscles. They're going to flex their muscles to show their They're being their very nice right now. They're being very nice right now. While raping girls, that is them being very nice. Yes. I think the ugliness of what's really going to happen, what this really stands for will come out in the near future. Um, our culture has always been based on we're the, the most powerful country in the entire world. We are not the most powerful country in the entire world, or respected, I should say. We may have power, but we don't have respect now. And there's a difference. When your allies are, are condemning your actions, they're going to think twice before they line up with you again. We just wet the bed. Yes. Mm. And whenever, 
whenever these Taliban who love to show off their strength by executing somebody or showing, you know, what they're going to do to people they consider infidels or whatever, it's going to come back on America. Look what you allowed to happen. So culturally, where does the Christian find an in for an apologetic argument with, say, that one family member at Thanksgiving who uh, uh, is left-leaning? Where do we create a culture that all— how do we counter this culture that created this Biden? Biden was a, was a rush, to the, rush to the mediocrity you for the sake of— You stand in truth. You stand on principle. I mean, of course, we're Christians. We ought to be standing on the Word of God. The problem is there's a lot of Christians that don't understand the principles of the Word of God. They've, they've made a lot of sacrifices. Where does that start? There are two places that that starts. There's the pulpit. Well, that's the first place. And, well, no, it's the second. Okay. Where's the first place? The personal. The man. In the, the home. Personal, yeah. the, the man personal. in the home and the personal. Uh, sure, you could say that the personal is the first. We need to be more active and engaged personally. However, I would also say the man and the pastor have failed miserably. And the reason, and, and, and maybe we'll talk, I, we were talking about different, different topics for this, and, and I, one of the things that I put out there was the reason these people have the mic, the reason these people are in charge is because we let them. Absolutely. We, we did. didn't we didn't speak up. So we need to have a culture where we say, you know what? You don't have to be Trump grabbing by the you know, whatever nasty. But we do need to be bold. We need to be bold. Well, you know, one of the things that I've always said and I, it's not very popular. Jesus drew a crowd. And then he would speak, and half of them would leave. How did he draw the crowd? He, he would draw the crowd. He had, he service. had great. He did have service. service. I mean, he, it was he, always service. He always had a lot of wisdom when he spoke. And then there were the miracles. The and service. People, and that's what people miss in evangelism. You serve people, then you bring you, the gospel. You meet, a, you meet a personal need. And, and that's true. But what did he do with those that were there for? other reasons he allowed them to know where they stood by putting out the he defined the relationship if you will said this is the defining characteristic and Mm -hmm. if you can't take this then you don't want what i have clearest example of that is the woman at the well i mean if you think about that here she is she's she's an adulteress for all intents and purposes that's really what she is so you know when he comes to her and, and she's wanting to get water, what's, what's her need? Her need is water. She's thirsty. She's got to get water back to the, the home. And he, and he flips the whole conversation. If you drink of the water that I have, you'll never go thirsty again. Well, that, that just sounds off the wall. But she's smart enough to inquire more about it. And lo and behold, before she's all done, Here's a person that's told her ever all that she's ever done, and she's told to go back and tell everybody of what's happened. So let me tell you the key there. Because of the kind of woman that she was, she had influence with the men, where if it had been... Uh, uh, God uses everything. God, God, uses, God uses everything. She, 
she could talk to the men in a way that a respectable woman could not. Yep, God uses ball peen hammers, sledgehammers, scalpels, and saws. So that's, it's, it's a nice pullover. So culturally, we need to be looking at being the voice in the culture, moving on to the chair of theology and, 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 and politics here. Um, that's a good segue. How do we take from this lesson that, that Afghanistan's taught us a, you know, th- this is a great apologetic tool. Mm-hmm. How do we use it politically and how do we use it theologically to show A, the depravity of man, but B, the critical nature of the Christian in politics? Let's start with the political aspect first. Um, the, the Christian needs to do a better job when they go to the voting booth. I'm not talking about who, I'm not talking about this past election and you shouldn't have voted for Biden and blah, blah, blah. I'm, I, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we're showing up to the voting booth and we're voting on a feeling. We're not voting based on what's real. We, we feel like Biden will do better. We'll fee, we feel like Biden will kind of tone things down, blah, well, blah, blah. It's not even that. You, you look at the massive absence and silence of, quote, unquote, evangelicals. Even oh, yeah. in the last two elections where we had more turnout, some would say statistically improbable more turnout in some cases, but uh, still uh, more turnout than ever before. And evangelicals are still overwhelmingly silent. Well, I don't know as they're silent as much as they are. They're, they're, not, they're not voting based on observable information. I'm telling you the statistics are they're not even present to vote. We have they're 20, not knowledgeable. They're we, just we not. have between 80 and 20 percent, depending upon um, which statistics you're reading, conserv- conservative Christian evangelicals don't show up. And they, well, a lot of them feel that they're not supposed to get involved in politics, but that is not true. But that's the cultural theological question. Theological question, if you were living in a representative government, unlike Rome, you are part of the electorate. You are part of what was Rome's parliament. You're part of the Senate. You were part of that. You were part of that aggregate. Do you have a duty to go out and vote? And should you be researching who you vote? The Old Testament says you are to raise up righteous men to rule over you. There's another saying. It's not biblical, but all it takes for evil to prosper is for good men to, to do, do nothing. nothing. And that, that's really what's happened. And that's what we just saw. We saw evil prosper. I'm sorry. I don't think Biden's evil. I'm, I'm sure this is the 87th clone of him, not to start a conspiracy theory with a joke. But he's just he's this yeah. old, doddering man who's being led around by the hand. And people who are manip- the bureaucracy... And, you know, you want to get super Alex Jonesy, whoever's funding, you know, his, his campaign and whatnot are probably the ones who are influencing his decisions. What's so, interesting is that if uh, Trump, behind. If, if Trump had been in office doing some of these things and looking like Biden has looked, I would dare say we might even have all out war. Sure. I mean, it's, it's pretty scary to think about. You, you asked a question a little bit ago, John Arthur, that I thought was a really good question. You know, this issue of separation of church and state, is it sustainable? No, it's not. 
no. The, the Christian has to be involved in this in, in all aspects. And I think one of the encouraging things that I'm seeing is that there are some people that are really waking up on the local issues. We've got to have an impact and an effect on the national and international issues. And I think to your point, um, A, get out and vote, but B, don't, don't vote on a feeling. Do your research. Anybody that had understood anything about Joe Biden, and by the way, I'm 56, so I fully understand Joe Biden. There's no way in the world I would have considered voting for him. Because he's going to be controlled by, by, by those who are unelected. Yes. And so... So the, uh, let me just add this for the silent Christian who doesn't vote. When persecution, which is coming, which has started, it will clean out the church of those who really aren't there to serve God and those who really are. And it will make a difference, but it may be too late to make a difference in the near future. Yeah, and, and, and here's the real thing that, that I see. I see our taxpayer dollars going to, and, and this will be a, pertinent in a moment, abortion to pulling out of Afghanistan, and, and, and instead of doing that, we're social engineering but I won't get ahead of myself. So moving over to Jennifer, who is now in the chair of philosophy. Thank you for joining oh, us. Oh, that's a mistake. Oh, why? I'm delirious. You're delirious. You've been Very at work. Tired. You're late in from work. Yeah. I will try to string together some <laughs> try coherent to be coherent. thoughts. Yeah. So I would say, how are you doing? But you've already told us. You've yeah, been working, tired. working long. So effectively... I, was, I handed you that article from, yeah. from Zeev uh, uh, Chavez. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry if I totally butchered that. But philosophically, let's see if we can tee this up. What we see is, is we went into Afghanistan to make a change because Afghanistan was actively spilling over into the U.S. There are some people who still want to be Washingtonian um, uh, isolationists. And there are some folks out there who think that we should be full-on imperialists. I like what Trump was doing. I'll just put, put my opinion here while asking the question. And neither. He did small strikes while being, having the minimal footprint. That's always been my argument. But philosophically, two things. There was a lack of direction in Afghanistan. And as Christians, what should have our objective have been and we form we can easily form the government if we actually went out and voted we could form the government what should have our goal and objective been in afghanistan and what kind of reason and reasoning can we bring out of afghanistan what kind of apologetic argument can we bring out of afghanistan to say look christians need to be involved places like israel these these 280 women oh only seven of them were, 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 were Americans, but uh, screw the rest of them and, and the seven Americans because they weren't all Americans. Um, these people count on something. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, I'm probably not going to be able to articulate very well an argument about, you about know, why we got in there in the first place, but my thoughts right now are once we got in there... We were there. 
and we had the Taliban on the run. They were gone. We had a strategic position. We had very minimal troops there. We hadn't had troop casualties. And it was at least a position that's more powerful than what we're in now. We are the ones on the run now. We have our tail tucked between our legs and we have scurried out the door and left everyone to rot, whether it's the seven American citizens, whether it's Israel who now has to deal with this threat of the Taliban. The article that you had um, slid over to me was made it, you know, a point that this Taliban victory is is going to embolden the rest of the countries around there. So, and isn't it what, interesting though that the there's a case to be made for for staying there, and I'm I'm not advocating one way or the other. That's mm-hmm. not what I'm trying to do here. But what I am saying is that if we had stayed in Afghanistan, we had a position to fight from in in regards to terrorism, mm-hmm. whether it be from Afghanistan or other countries nearby. Right. So that's kind of kind of where I'm at right now. Is may maybe pulling out of Afghanistan was the correct move, but how it was done is obviously butchered. Butchered. And I'm not fully convinced of this, but I think that there's a, a decent case to be made that having, how many troops did we have in there? 2,000 with no casualties in several months? There's, there could be a case made that maybe we should have stayed. And, and this is kind of the case of people say, and the end this endless war because our troops are there. We have troops in... Just about every country that matters. I mean, all over the world we have troops. So why... I mean, Afghanistan is different in some sense. But if you you look at the numbers, it's not that different. It's it's not so different. What's interesting there is that I think what Jennifer's really bringing out is, is really what the liberal left and progressives have done a great job of doing. They find these off-center points to to talk about and get traction on. You know, you think about it, 2,000, 2,500 troops over there, that's nothing. And how do they win? Uninformed conservatives. Mm-hmm. Uninformed, yeah. stupid, duller conservatives just, just sitting there. We sit there and we, and don't, we don't inform yep. each other. We don't talk about it. And we turn on Fox News, which is opposition-controlled. Like I'm, 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 I'm just saying now, mm-hmm. now, now. Don't get me wrong. I love some of those guys over at Newsmax, but uh, the tone over there is a little, is a little uh, fever pitched. But, but um, we, 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 we don't look for stable, common sense information sources, and we go to comfort food. I'll say Fox News is comfort food. And some of those what? guys are great. If, but. if any of us a month ago had tried to make the argument that you know. Maybe it is something to, not even that we absolutely should, but maybe we should just consider staying. We want American troops to die. We don't care about our sons and daughters. You horrible person, how could you want this endless war to go? Exactly. And, and by nonsense. the way, if, if Barack Obama starts it, we should be there as long as necessary, like Libya, right? Right. So it's a, it's a political football, and, and that brings me down to, I want to talk about, in the philosophy chair, before we move to the chair of economics, I want to talk about what should our purpose have been there 
and how did we totally miss the ball in this withdrawal? Well, I think that question can be answered from several different perspectives. From the government perspective, that's kind of the answer that I just gave is, you know, that would have been a pretty st strategic position to keep, uh, to keep the Taliban down, to have a position to fight from as Christians. Um, I think the first steps would have been locally and to affect change in our own government, which I think would have then been able to spill over into Afghanistan in a much more productive way. I don't know if we would have been able to get them necessarily like evangelizing because it is still the government and that's that's a long ways off to get sure. but, <laughs> to but, get that in there. But, but the government can do is provide that stability for the church. Right. So so that perhaps we would have been able to stabilize Afghanistan so that more missionaries could go in non government backed. That could have been a great goal. And, but and so that that's a great segue. That leads me into the question of what failed in Afghanistan? When we pulled out, we obviously didn't keep our end of the deal. There, the, the, the Taliban was supposed to not cross these lines, not do these things. They crossed all of them, and we continued with the pullout. But there were 200,000 Afghani troops. What failed? There, most, most or all of those guys are still alive today. Their philosophy, their worldview was bankrupt the corruption in that system how do you fix that corruption there's only one answer yep. and, and and i know that sounds really trite and i know that some people are, are looking at me ah oh, the jesus you know what yeah the jesus thing the, there is only one thing that fixes man's corruption and that's the transformational power of christ we so that evangelism it. would have been wonderful mm -hmm. I just I have this picture in my mind of somebody who is intentionally clicked onto a Christian podcast who's like, "Oh, you're bringing up the Jesus thing? Gosh!" Like, uh, make yes. sure you hit that di that dislike button twice. Yes. In fact, so, we are. One thing you, again, let me bring this up. All things work together for good to those that love God and to those that called according to His purpose. When twenty years ago we decided to get involved in the Middle East, the Middle East has always been a problem. But what you're not hearing and not understanding is that there's been a lot of revival going on. There's been a lot of people getting saved in the Middle East in the last 20 years. Agreed. And that is rampant. So we're, we're talking about, you know, the Jesus thing, but we're not seeing what's going on behind the scenes. And our presence in the Middle East did bring in. It allowed for. Yes. 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 So. Moving on to the economic chair, and this is something very similar to what I've said in a previous podcast, but we spent, and I, and I went and looked it up, it was $300 million a day in Afghanistan. We were spending $300 million a day in Afghanistan alone. $300 million? Million. No, no, no. A million. The, 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 that, that is the estimated cost, and that might be gross cost. Uh, however, b because of all the contracts with Raytheon, with all the contracts with Boeing, and the constant need to keep all of that up, that massive infrastructure, we were spending an incredible amount of money. It's a lot of overpaid contractors. With, with, yes, and a lot of overpaid businesses. And you want to know some yeah. of the people who are running Biden's decisions? J just, just, yeah. just, but, but. The 
American church, while spending the majority of its money on itself, we're talking 99, 98% by the Joshua Project's numbers. If we had just focused, we were spending 90 million globally a day. Globally. And that's the whole church, by the way. That includes South Korea. That includes, um, you know, all of these large westernized nations with big missionary outlets. By the way, South Korea, uh, I have to check, they're either number two or number one. They've been fighting to beat us for a long time for missionary outlay. <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, South Korea, good job. Uh, U.S., you could do better. If we've been putting our money towards evangelism, if we had been focusing, and, and you say, how do you do that? The, the, the government is the one spending all the money. Well, let's think about that for a moment. Who chooses how we spend our money and who keeps raising the taxes? Every person in this room. Elect. Yep, every person that, we, that sits in this room and every person who uh, is listening plus the people that they elect, that we elect. So with that said, if we had been focusing our efforts, as in all things, and I'm just going to pull back for a moment, we were spending $300 million a day in Afghanistan alone for military, and the church as a whole, we're talking all the nations, we're only spending $90 million a day in the world. If we had spent half of the money that we were spending in Af Afghanistan uh, from a government budget perspective on putting people on the streets, doing education. We westernized Afghanistan to an, to an extent. We started to. You know, we were creeping that direction. And all these 12-year-old girls who are now being raped by the Taliban, guess what? They were raised in a Western world, westernized country. They, 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 they weren't just some back hole. Not all of them were just some back hole, something. And even if they were, I don't care. But... These girls were growing up. They were having jobs. They were expected. They were living a westernized world. They, they, they saw what was on this side of the ocean. I think westernized might be a little bit too strong of a word, but the spirit of what you're saying is very true. It was, it it was, was as we, it, we were westernizing. How about that? It's yeah. not a developed country. It's a developing country versus a non-developed country. Right? Well, the, a great deal. I was going to say the bottom line is you're giving them hope. Yeah. And value, exactly. an opportunity to see value in themselves. And we took it all away. And so if, if the American church had been more, I'm going to use the word militant, about us keeping our money, be a good thing. But it doesn't mean anything if we don't stop spending all of the money locally on ourselves for pizza and yo-yo that doesn't create disciples. We're spending it on these worthless Bible studies that, oh, let's not bring up... Uh, Allie Beth Stuckey did, did, a, did a hilarious thing recently. She did a little, um, one of her little videos about women's Bible study. Oh, no, no, no. You can't say sin. That's just rude. You can't, you can't condemn people. I mean, everyone's truth, man. And so that, that is the, the real issue. We do not value what God values. We don't get involved. And we don't get involved. And we've let the government, we've abdicated I'm sorry, public schools, we, 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 I'm a big fan of homeschooling. You know what I'm, I'm actually a bigger fan of? Church-run schools. Churches putting that money together and then having parents work in a co-op 
environment. I'm a big fan of that. Miss Nikki as a homeschooler saying, nope, not for me. But, 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 but and here's I'll tell the, you why. Here, here, here's the thing. For people who can't, for the single mom that can't afford it, I think that's a better solution than the public education. Well, let's t- talk about what has Christian schools come into is, is the financial again. And what they do is a kid gets in trouble in a public school. They'll put them in a church school, and the church school will go, oh, yeah, that's money, and we can help this kid. And then... Wait, 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 pause, pause, pause. You're attacking a straw man on me real quick. Okay. The church should provide that for free. The, The body of the church should be... And by the way, this works if we're not paying an arm and a leg in school district taxes. This works if we're not paying Aldine 17% inventory tax in Aldine School District here in Houston. If you own inventory, they'll charge you 17% every year on what you're holding. So well, that's those the foundation sorts of, of things. school was started by the, ch- the local church. School, uh, it, I mean, you go back to, in history, people wanted children to read the Bible. So that's when school... And, I mean, in America. But so the, the the local, the church was... If you want to homeschool your kid, you should homeschool your kid. I'm a big advocate of homeschooling, okay? Period. I think that is the best way to go. If you have a man who's working well and a woman who, or, or vice versa, whatever, you have one spouse who's working, maybe the other one has a side job, but they're able to homeschool, okay? Or, or maybe they just full-time homeschool. Awesome. Awesome. But for the single mother who is not as privileged at the moment, she doesn't have those resources, the church should be offering a solution. Well, and your solution would be fine, even with what you stated. The issue is, is if you take a kid that's in trouble in the public school, you must have an enforcement of wrongdoing. That's why this country is getting more and more screwed up every day, because it's run by DAs that have been uh, funded by liberal progressives, and they're just letting, letting criminals out. out. Mm-hmm. Well, the real so so. Let's go to the that's the political, and you're correct. Let's back up to the root. When I was in when when I was in a religious school, and and this is this is the K four through first grade. This one particular school, the big boogeyman was that every single person, every kid there had to sign. Mister Keith, Pastor Keithley could use corporal punishment. He could spank you mm-hmm. as with an open hand. But guess, but guess what? That put the fear into everyone. He was the boogeyman. I never saw Pastor Keithley, never never got near him. But everyone would say, oh, don't do that. Pastor Keithley's going to spank you. Just the fear of that. Yep. And, and each, so yes, there has to be, I believe in corporal punishment or kids, the parents, if, hey, if you want a free education for your kid, there's no public school option, perfect world. You have to sign this. If, you're, if your five-year-old is acting up, we have the right to open hand his butt. Only that. You know, we can pat him on the butt. But that's it. If you have that sort of rule base and restriction... And if the church is providing it out of the out of the families who are actually tithing, if if if, if the church actually tithed, you'd have a lot more money. So let's go back to that because if the average <clears throat> church has about, if you have five percent of your people tithing, 
That's a good church. Okay. That's a sad church. But when was the last time you heard somebody preach on, guys, only 5% of us in this church tithe, so we have a faith problem. We have a faith problem. And I've heard too many of those sermons, but, 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 oh, when, but when they're rarely. The, you hardly ever hear those sermons. Sure. And then what do we do? We build bigger and bad, you know, bigger buildings and, you know. That's it right there. It's all going to the upkeep of this monumental. By the way, the, can I say something really ugly and unpopular? The cathedrals were monuments to man's idolatry to himself. I would agree. I would agree. But keep going. I'm just saying that, you know, it's really a faith issue. We talk about, oh, let's have revival. Well, revival starts in your own personal faith. And you don't have faith in your finances. You don't have faith in God in other areas either. Ouch. That's just the way it is. Ouch. I agree. So that's the root of all of this. A couple things. First off, we're not getting it right in our own church. Our church is not spending money where it should. If our church was actually spending money on local missions and and foreign, by the way, big fan of indigenous missions. If you want to talk about cat, uh, cost per soul one, and I know that's really nasty to say it that way, uh, indigenous missions are so much more effective because you're discipling. You're discipling mm-hmm. with someone who's in the culture. I don't think that's nasty to say. I think that's being a good steward of, of your reason. Yeah. I, I hope people take it that way because that is my heart. My thought is, is if I'm going to be spending 10%, 20%, however much money I can give out of my paycheck, I hope it's going to a... Something that's effective, and it, maybe we need to talk Cause, about cause youth ministry at some, some point, but again, not effective. Yeah, because, I mean, when you break down what you're saying, how we're describing it right now is very logical, but what we're really saying is that local people are more effective to witness to local people. Yep. Amen. Yes. And that's, exactly and that's right. the heart of it. And so if church was spending money on a dish, even the same money that we're spending supporting, I'm not, I don't have a problem with the church sending people from the congregation as missionaries, okay? Let me say that. But if we were spending that same amount, just duplicate it in the budget and just spend it on indigenous missions, you would see statistically between a four and tenfold increase in the salvation gospel message being preached and understood and heard. And, uh, and you know what would be kind of interesting? This is just a thought that popped into my head because I've, I've been trying to find some, some way to, to give financially to Afghanistan. And I haven't really been able to find something that I can vet that's a good Christian organization. I, I wonder if, if there's a way that the church could get involved, even just being able to provide people with like a list of good charities to give to. Absolutely. So some, so we'll give a couple, but I don't know that they're... I know like Samaritan's, Samaritan's Purse. Purse is excellent. I know, um, what is it, uh, Matthew 25 group? Is a good. They're not very broad. As I don't think that they go overseas, but they're a, a decent one. If locally, it's me, I, think. I, I would do Samaritan's Purse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably one of the best structured organizations, and they do so much on a global scale, not just. I mean, they they do it locally. Don't get me wrong, but they they have such a great infrastructure. I, I will say this. I hope and pray that that organization stays strong Amen. in its leadership at the top. And we need to hold it accountable. Yeah, absolutely. Personally, yeah. I donate all my money to the American Red Cross no, because you I don't. love Stop. because I love funding oh, seven-figure salaries for CEOs of nonprofits. And for those of you that are listening, if, that was if sarcasm. you want, yeah, it was sarcasm. <laughs> if if you if you really truly 
I'm, I'm going to approach this from the perspective that you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You just have a, a heart that wants to help. I want to encourage you to look into the organization that you're thinking about giving to because the American Red Cross is not an effective use of your money. It's they, a total sham. It, it's, it's really sad. And that's why we're bringing up organizations like Samaritan Purse and Matthew 25. And so anyway, I'm, I, to wrap I it had up, to hit that. To wrap it up and put a fine point on it, let's go around the room one more time. Uh, chair of Culture, actionable steps this week. What can we do to be a part of the culture that is transformative People are talking about Afghanistan. What can we use and say, look, this is, this is what we need to be, where we, our culture needs to change? And what kind of apologetic can we bring out of that? The first thing that every individual needs to do is a examination of your personal relationship with the Lord, prayer of where you should go, where you should direct your uh, finances, where you should um, direct, even, even if you can help, Physically do something if you have to pack boxes for a, a charity, but you always look inside first. Where am I with the Lord? Because can am I a tool that is being fashioned in His hand to be used to the fullest power that He can use me? I think it always looks inward first Being, before you can do anything outward. Be the change. You can talk about change all you want, but if you're not part of it, you're useless. Moving on to the chair of politics and theology. How do we take this moving forward in a way that is God-honoring and restorative? So let's approach uh, quickly from the political aspect. Number one, get educated, get into the voting. You, you need to be a part of that. Um, from the theological perspective, you should understand that every person has intrinsic value. That came from God himself. And if we're going to impact the, the world around us, we need to allow the word to impact us first. And when it does, then we need to share it with others and help them understand that same word can impact you. And when that happens, then it spreads. Intrinsic value used to be we lost one American behind lines. We would move tens, hundreds of millions of dollars just to get that one American yep. back. Yep. We need to care about our citizens and somewhat about other nation citizens more than yep. we do today. Moving on to the chair philosophy, what do we need to do moving forward to take back Christians' understanding of rhetoric, logic, when we go to the poll location, when we go to the church location, the purpose of what we do, the why of why what we do what we do. I think what we need to do, first of all, we need to beat our kids more. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Corporal punishment <laughs> in love <laughs> is always. Yeah, in love, that too. Um, but I would say, you know, I, I came in for the last, last part of this and we were really focusing in on the financials. So that's kind of where I'll harp on. But, you know, philosophically, the question is why? So you don't have to tell anybody about what you give or what you don't give, but just take today and think about why you are or aren't 
giving a certain amount of money. If you're if you are one of those Christians who aren't tithing, just be honest with yourself and say why. Examine what the what heart. are you what are you saving that money for? Is it, it's your rainy day fund? How big is your rainy day fund already? And would $25 a month really affect it? That's that's cutting I'm out just, Starbucks on I'm, on on yeah. the Saturday. Yeah, I'm just one day know, a week. Be be brutally honest with yourself and look at and I and this is something that I I've, I've had to do. I am naturally inclined to be a a hoarder with my money. I don't spend it on myself and I didn't spend it on the church for quite a many number of years. That's not grammatically correct. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll forgive you. We understand Blood where you're from. Nurse just coming in from but, night shift. You know that that was my natural inclination to just hoard it away because yeah. one day I might need it. But you know what? You gotta let it go. Examine, so. examine where your treasure is being kept, Amen. and your treasure in Amen. heaven is souls. I've said this many times before, and I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record, but we're here to win souls. The reason we're not raptured out the moment we say, Jesus, I love you, forgive me my sins, is because we're meant to make disciples, not evangelize people, we're meant to make disciples. Let us be about the business of making disciples, whether it's in this nation or Afghanistan, wherever in the world, let's be focusing on making disciples. With that said, Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We uh, love to hear from you. Put a comment down there in the comment section. Give us uh, those five-star reviews and the actual review reviews on iTunes. That is huge Uh, for analytic reasons, what have you. That is huge for us. We would really appreciate it if you dropped us a like and a a comment. Uh, Share, subscribe, all those good things. If you have any arguments you wish to add to this week's conversation, go ahead and put it down there. Tell us from which chair you're coming from. If you hated this podcast, as always, I invite you to go ahead and share. Tell us which chair you're sharing from. And uh, like, comment, subscribe. Thank you, guys. We appreciate your listenership. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.